Today is a Valentine's Day, and it's been a long week for me studying on the text on Jesus' teaching on divorce and marriage. But I have, I have to share this with you. I have a, a mixed emotions right now. Initially, it was a heavy heart. I honestly wanted to somehow push this passage, maybe have Wade speak today <laughs> on something else. It started like that, but at the end of the week, and the more I see the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, although the question and teaching and focus is on divorce, is actually the spirit of the law is a sanctity of marriage. God's beautiful design for marriage. So I'm hopeful that it will guide us in celebrating Valentine's Day with our loved ones, the love of our lives. And we set aside home group tonight to create that celebration with your loved ones. But may this passage be guiding light and beacon of hope for us. Before we get into the text itself, which is uh, Matthew 5, our focus is verse 31 and 32 only, but in context, it starts with verse 27, but dealing with lust and uh, seventh commandment, and Jesus is saying, but let's start with the importance of Mary's. Why is it so important? At least there are three reasons. Number one, it is the most foundational relationship that determines the spiritual and moral fiber of a family, a church, local church, a city, a state, and a nation. In a way, if marriage is broken, if marriage is, our marriage is, is going downhill, a family and city and state and whole nation will go down the hill as well. And that is happening if you look at even TV shows and commercials. And back in the days, I don't know how many of you guys are old enough to see My Three Sons, Father Knows the Best. Those are really, really, really old. And then uh, Leave It to Beaver. And then something happened in between those times and, and then the, with the funky music, Married with Children came. And then Homer Simpson came. And the whole thing just changed so much over the years. And it is acceptable to view that as all more realistic and leave it to Beaver family. It's kind of a little, who, who would wear entire suit eating at the dinner at home, that kind of mentality. And June wears this perfect dress with the hair and uh, looks so made up, not unreal in a way. But the reality is the moral fiber and spiritual fiber of our society is in trouble because of the broken marriages and hence the family values being continually changed. As a Christian, 
as a Christ follower, and as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, remember the theme. Theme is to not be like them. Another way of saying it is countercultural difference from the world. But we need to be careful about there is a worldly people out there and we are Christians and that we are different from them. No. Ours is the generation that we are too, and Jesus in days also too, that we are too radically different from the world and at the same time radically different from the church and nominal Christians that has deviated from uh, scriptural standard and guidance. Number two, marriage is the context of true discipleship, which is an ongoing real transformation that begins uh, in our marital relationship as husband and wife. If someone is excited about Christian life, and I want to kind of confirm and affirm that the person's excitement and passion for God and and spiritual journey and growth, and I'll say, show me the countenance of your wife. Show me countenance of your your husband. Show me how your marriage is, is, and I'll tell you the validity of your spirituality. I'm not saying that as a someone who looks down anything, and this is the the conviction that God has given me before marriage, and I wrote down. On my journal, the validity of my true spiritual life and validity of true spirituality will be on the countenance of my wife and children. It's easy for me to perform as a pastor and look somehow admirable. But what happens is a real Christian life begins with intimate people, people who know you inside out. And who knows? more and better than our spouses. And number three is more of a the call for today. Hence it calls, marriage calls for our obedience, Jesus' radical teaching on God's original intent, which results in our countercultural view on divorce as well as on marriage. And as we study this short passage, keep in mind the three key principles uh, we mentioned, and we're continually using that in, in six examples, illustrations that Jesus gives us. Number one is uh, follow the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law, and change the heart, thoughts, attitudes, and motive, not just the behavior. Obey actively to imitate God, not just passively to avoid sin. So for those of you who are you know, kind of sitting back, you say, oh, Paul's going to speak on this, but some people really need to hear it. And my marriage is doing okay. At least we have never thought about divorce. So it, I'm going to check out a little bit. No. When you hear the Spirit of the law is what goes in our hearts. Just because you never divorced, you never separated, you never had 
really rocky marriage, that doesn't mean that spirit of the law is actively pursue, pursued by your obedience. Heart transformation is what Jesus is requiring us. So speaking of that, going into the text, let's think about the similar ways that we've been talking about. Jesus gives us six illustrations from the, the Old Testament. And the reason why he would say, you have heard that it was said, rather than it was written, Jesus is not opposing to the Old Testament law. Actually, Jesus came to fulfill, he said, right? Jesus is opposing to the wrong interpretations of the day, the Pharisees and scribes. In verse 31, he introduced, You have heard it was said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Where did that come from? They didn't make it up. They were the literal letter of the law people. And they were, on a, at least on the visual level, they're obsessed about keeping the law. Is actually Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4. And but look at verse 1. This is part of the Old Testament law. Verse 1, right, uh, Moses says, through Moses, God says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he, she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Jesus states the obsession was an interpretation of that phrase, some indecency. There's a two schools of thoughts. Rabbi Hillel is a liberal school of thoughts. And they're saying, even your wife is bad cook. She burnt your meal. And you could send her away. Send her away. If she doesn't look good in the morning because her hair is down, you could send her away. So anything goes. But of the day, those same times, there was another school of thought, rabbi by the name of Shemai, was very conservative, and looking into the scripture, said this is the in case of adultery, sexual sins only. And later on, I'm going to explain a little bit from what Jesus taught from Matthew 19. They actually brought this issue to him. Two, because of two reasons. Number one, to trap him. Because John the Baptist said something about the sins about uh, having adultery. And he was captured and he was in, put into prison. Uh, eventually, he was beheaded. 
So maybe to, to, to try to trap him and put him in some kind of a, uh, trouble. And the other one is a, just, you know, the ongoing debate and disagreement between the two schools of thoughts. And Jesus actually says, the school of thought, Shammai, is the correct interpretation, but we'll go more than that. So let's think about how they interpreted wrongly. Number one is the Pharisees and scribes redirected the main issue to a command to divorce. The command to divorce properly. Because if you read it, and you just read it on the letter of the law, it sounds like command, right? Number two, their redirection led them to be obsessed with the grounds for divorce. Okay, if it's bad cooking, that's a ground for divorce, and I could send her away right now. Or even the conservative school of thought, if it's some kind of adultery and sexual sin, yes, that happens. Now we have a right to divorce her. You see the spirit of the law that I mentioned? Jesus answering them, his obsession was not the grounds for divorce, but the spirit of God's original intent, which is about marriage. And many of you seen me quote uh, John R.W. Stott. John Stott has been my book mentor several years. He uh, made so much of an impact, not only on my life, legacy on evangelical world. And John Stott has this famous comment in his commentary and in his church, uh, while he was still rector of that Anglican church, um, a couple who wanted to talk to him, ask him about divorce, whether they could talk to him about divorce. And then he will always say, only if you agree to talk with me about marriage, and reconciliation, then, only then, I'll talk to you about divorce. See, the idea of Jesus' answer, Jesus' urging in this passage in Matthew 5, in Sermon on the Mount, and later answering two Pharisees, two school of thoughts in Matthew 19, is the spirit of the law about marriage. So this whole redirection allow them to conveniently disregard the original blueprint of God in marriage, which is permanent oneness in marriage. God designed marriage as lifelong oneness. What about its true meaning and the deeper application? When, and Jesus counter 
counters that. And But I say to you, in verse 32, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In today's standard, this is so harsh, too much that it's unbearable. I have a friends uh, who have divorced, and even in our church, there were rocky marriages, and, and the idea of a possibility of divorce came up. And whenever that happens, even including my pastor friends, there are so many different kind of looking at this passage and somehow trying to contextualize in today's world and somehow make it to say that Jesus really doesn't mean this. It is not the only exception in sexual immorality or adultery. I implore you to put down your guard today. Trusting that God knows what's best for us and God is consistently always good. He's not only sovereign. He's not only omnipotent, omniscient, but he is good. He desires for the best for us. So Matthew 19, he, exp- he explores a little more. In verse 3, uh, it's all the way to verse 12. But today, we'll just uh, read through verse 3 to, to 9. And Pharisees came, to, came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and and said therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh Um, when he said one flesh it doesn't mean just physical body the word is one soul. When you think about one soul means whole person. Okay? Verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Verse 9 is identical in uh, chapter 5, verse 32 uh, in our text together. 
So in this, in this way, what Jesus is pointing to is not about grounds necessarily. That grounds actually points to the original intent of God's design and blueprint. And the reason why I said, put down your guard and really listen. And for those of you who never thought about, who will never thought about divorce, maybe a little bit of a Christian conviction, but there's a cultural background of shame and other things are there in your circle. And you need to have all this set of new friends. It's just bothersome. So if we do Pharisee-like externalism in keeping the law on the visible level, what happens? As long as I don't divorce my wife, my husband. Have you seen those people? Is that biblical blueprint of marriage? No. We know some, some of our parents and some of, some of our relatives, culturally, it's a little um, stigma to be divorced. And, you know, that culture changed nowadays. Asian countries, divorce are all over, rampant. But at least the older generation not only use the two different separate rooms, and I, I even my extended family saw miserable life, coexisting, bad-mouthing each other. But divorce is not the option. Jesus is not talking about this. And even in our heart, what needs to be stirred and challenged today is, what does it look like for us to marry in the in the light of God's original blueprint. Oneness means much more than staying in marriage for the sake of staying in marriage. And let's summarize a little bit what, what Jesus is bringing out. The true meaning of the Old Testament is not a command but a concession due to the hardness of the human heart. And even if you think, at, think, think about the cultural context, man only not only have a legal rights, but the financial, economical power to divorce. The woman cannot survive without a certificate paper, because others will consider her hollet. And there is no way to, for her to me, remarry and survive and somehow with anyone. So, so Old Testament is actually not advocating for divorce, but because of sinfulness and brokenness of people's heart, it is a concession, permission, but and yet to protect woman's rights. That she would not be stoned. That she would not starve to death. And then later on in that passage, if another man takes her and marries and divorces her again, let the first husband never take her back because it is abomination. Well, in other words, Old Testament also points to 
indirectly to the God's blueprint of marriage. And Jesus is not bringing up new thing and changing the, change the scenario. The deeper application is radical. Because all of a sudden, the Christ follower who adheres Scripture as a supreme authority, we cannot excuse ourselves and come up with the contemporary reasons. A typical reason will be irreconcilable differences. Well, by the way, the reason why we read, starting from verse 27, whoever looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery. And the adultery is the only, Jesus, from Jesus' teaching, sole exception for ground for, for divorce. Why is that? Because that oneness, the sanctity of marriage is broken. She or she, he is as if dead. Now you are permitted to divorce. Not to command it either there and remarry. Number three, other than Jesus' exception for ground for divorce, there is another passage because of New Testament continually goes on to the Gentiles, and then all these Gentile Christians came to know Christ, and they became a Christian. And you could, you could even imagine that in the entire city of Corinth, the gospel came, and many of uh, couples, only one of them became a Christ follower. And even that, Paul's admission, uh, ad admonition to them is stay in marriage. Who knows? God will bring grace to your family they, that they might be sanctified. But if your unbelieving spouse leaves you, let it be so. That's the second exception of ground for marriage, biblical ground for marriage. Abandonment of unbelieving believing spouse. Even in this, I need to main, mention that it is not a command. It is permitted because of in light of original in, intent and design of sanctity of life and sanctity of marriage. I've seen many cases from some of, some of my close friends who have went through the dark valleys of infidelity. And so imagine the heartache and pain in going through that. The many of our friends chose the godly way, even though permission was there to seek reconciliation. And their marriage is restored. You see, Christians are not to look for grounds for divorce. Some people argued with me. What about those people who are just spousal abuse and beating you up? 
you are you saying you just want to stay in the marriage? What about gambling addict? What about drug addict? What about all this? The spirit of law, the common sense of understanding God's law, is simply this. You know, you could ask me offline after this sermon. The silence of Jesus' teaching on other areas and complexity of our broken world in today's complex world doesn't still give us a biblical ground. But the prudence and wisdom is leave your spouse, take your kids, give a time to you know, separation, Legal or whatever that you need to do. Protect yourself. Obviously, those things are necessary. But do not think that one way or the other, the hope in Jesus because of this marriage and because of this broken person in your life is over. I I hope I made it clear. I'm not saying stay in the marriage no matter what. But think of it as permanence of your marital relationship in the sight of God's covenant. Our marriage is a covenantal relationship. And we need to expose the today's uh, peril a little more to understand this. I'm uh, reiterating the spirit of the law. This law is following God's original blueprint for sanctity of marriage, permanent oneness of marriage. Now, in our world, the key problem is a man-centered view and its implications and ramification on marriage and divorce. At least three things. The distorted view of marriage is the basing the marital commitment on romantic love and feelings. Why do you want to get married? Oh, because I love her. You know, when I do premarital counseling, I made them promise me with this. Answer me with honest, with full honest. By the time when, when I am officiating your wedding, we will burn the bridges that you can never go back. Do not think that you have a way out. And if you continually struggle with that, maybe that is the answer. That you should not marry. Take this very, 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 very seriously because God thinks of marriage very, very, very seriously. To a point, Christ and the church relationship was the original picture of marriage and our physical marriage with earthly marriage has been compared to what Christ will continually uh, relate to us as a bride, the church, in eternity. There will be no marriages in heaven in eternity. This is also a very important thing. Even among the Christians, we have this misuse of marriage all the time. Why do you want to get married? Because I love her. Another popular uh, answer is, 
Oh, because I feel lonely, I want to get happy, I want to fulfill my dream to have this happiness. The only problem, because of the fall, every man and woman's heart is wicked and desperately sick. And if you, if you ask me, have you seen the sign of that? Of course, the psychologist will tell us that number one reason for typical American marriage, the reason for fight, marital fight, marital tension, conflict, is money. But I will say, there's a deeper root of that. It's not about the different ways of spending and saving uh, different values of money that people are fighting about. The number one reason and number one reason alone from over and over in my counseling selfishness. I'll, I'll go one step further. The marital problem in my life is due to my selfishness. And the Kate's, too. <laughs> you see, when you think about this, somehow, when I get married, my husband will meet my needs, and I will feel like this. When I get married, my wife will make me like a king. My socks will be always folded. My underwears will be plenty. The food will be always delicious and warm. You know what it is? Sometimes when you walk into the, to the marriage, the problems that you didn't know about yourself surface up. You, you know what I'm talking about. If you married more than a year or two, I thought I was such a gentle person and I could, you know, let go of these petty things. All of a sudden I get just bothered and annoyed and I'm all troubled inside. And then you begin to see, yeah, my upbringing, I have too much anger, I have too much uh, control issue. I'm too indifferent about getting involved emotionally. And conflict is just too terrible for me. Expressing my emotion, honesty, is, is more harder than working out several hours a day. And lastly, the peril of our day is a divorce on demand. Um, I'm conflicted in, in this area also too. So one, one, one thing is there was a stigma and shame and judgment on divorced people. Remember that as we went through this Sermon on the Mount and I said each sermon, welcome murderers. Why? Because if you have an anger in your heart against your brother and sister, you have already committed murder. Welcome adulterer. Why? 
if you have lustful intent on anyone, either by visual thing for men typically or the, the thought of a woman's heart, is adultery. And even in, even in the spirit of this law, when we think about there is no condemnation. Let me say that again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God holds us with all the things we have done, we will be doing, none of us will be able to stand before God. God's mercy and grace continually abounds to us. So in that sense, I want to welcome those of you whose marriages are not perfect, who's really going through a tough time, who actually thought about divorce. And another, another way of putting this is, for those of you who are on the visual level, I challenge you to come down to the, your heart level and ask whether you're obeying the original blueprint of God's oneness principle. Whether you are pursuing the one you have found, that pursuit is endless. The depth of knowing that spouse is endless. The possibility of maximum oneness endless. So, Let's give, let's give a brief uh, blueprint I mentioned several times. And I want to emphasize on blueprint of marriage as a spirit of the law so that when we come back to the divorce issue, things are much more clear from inside out. Number one is the nature of marriage is based on, on a permanent covenant, not romantic love. The covenant is between Male and female, one man and one woman, as Jesus mentioned in Matthew 19. The covenant involves a lifelong commitment and responsibility. Yes, responsibility to love each other, not feelings. The covenant also is sanctified by God. It is God who joins us as one. How do I know? What if I made or ma marry the wrong person? And I think simple answer is that God has joined each marriage that your, your responsibility and commitment is to be faithful. Right now, it might not be hopeful. Right now, it might be just pitch dark. But God could redeem anything. God redeems murderers and adulterers. God redeems a people who doesn't know how to do lifelong commitment. Number two, the goal of marriage is oneness to become one spiritually, emotionally, and physically. In so doing, we must do three things, in, at least three things, and be faithful in purity, to value each other, to cherish each other, to be faithful in truthfulness, to build trust with each other, 
to be faithful in love and to focus on loving, not being, being loved by meeting each other's needs. And generally, obviously, there are other differences, but biblical insight and uh, wisdom is that wife's primary need is security and esteem. Because of that, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved, loved, loved the church. And husband's primary need is significance, Respect. Wives, submit to your husband. Acknowledge his leadership. Make him feel admired, at least by you. Finally, the purpose of marriage is not happiness, but holiness. To measure the value of your marriage by how happy you are subjectively, we'll, we'll just show the drift, drastic drift from God's plan of redemption. The reason why God placed that intimate person who is absolutely different from you, it's kind of this bait and switch kind of thing, right? I loved Kate's differences and, you know, She's not like me. Oh, I'm so attracted. And all of a sudden, her difference become. Are you Martian? Where are you from? Can we speak the same language? And obviously, it's a vice versa also too. God brings our marital relationship to shape us into Christ-likeness. That means... Your spouse not only knows, but should speak truth into you. That no one ever dares to say. Sometimes most people don't know what you really need to hear, but your spouse knows. In uh, Ephesians 5, verse 26 to 27, is a picture of Jesus cleansing the church by the washing of water by the word, said. So I'm, I'm sure um, you guys take shower regularly. Even today, mo- most of you probably took a shower unless you took a shower yesterday in a Western standard. So when you, when you wash yourself, it, you don't much think about much about, about it, right? But there was a time that um, I was clumsy in writing, and for the sake of losing weight and more fit, I used to ride this bike. It was a, it's supposed to be Kate's bike, so it's kind of people made fun of me because it's a woman's bike. And bike uh, back and forth to my previous church. It's a quite a one one full hour of a you know riding, but close to home in the big street and you know intersection, there was a, some sand and I slid. And uh, the the fall was so obvious that everybody was just looking at me. 
More than pain, I was embarrassed, and I just picked up the bike and just ran home. And then from one leg, from my, my the thigh to all the way to my ankle, there was a big scrape. As I'm washing in the shower, it hurt. So imagine that somebody else want to wash that part. No way. Even my hand, I'm very, very careful. In the sanctification process in our marriages, husband and wife are to do that each other in love. But it hurts sometimes. But we need to build trust with each other. So Tim Keller, in his book, I recommend that book, The Meaning of Life. Our men's group went, went over that uh, about a couple of years ago. Writes this, what then is marriage for? It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves. The new creations that God will eventually make us. The common horizon husband and wife look toward is the throne and the holy, spotless, and blameless nature we will have. Within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you. And it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey that you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I'll look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth. But now, Look at you. Would you think about this vision of Christian marriage? Next time when you feel conflicted in your marriage, next time when you feel like you hit the wall when it comes to reconciliation with your wife and your husband, when you see the brokenness in each other. So the quick two applications that I will suggest. Number one, the Jesus' radical teaching on, our, on, the, on marriage and divorce should point us to these at least two ways. The, the first one is we are to renew our commitment to the permanent oneness with our spouse in accordance with God's blueprint for marriage. As your pastor, as your friend, and your brother, let me give you this tip that has changed my life. A money back guarantee, although you don't pay anything right now. <laughs> Renew your commitment. This permanent oneness every day. When you get up morning in the morning, as if this is the first day of making a commitment, your wedding day. That you are not living on the uh, marriage vow that you made 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or 20 years ago. Barely hanging in there. 
to renew your commitment to love her, to love him each day. And that really had made a world of difference for me. I'm not, I kid you not, I find Kate so attractive and so admirable from my point of view at least. And though, when I think about my love on the wedding day, I thought I could never love her more than I loved her back then. It's like a kindergarten childish love. I'm growing and maturing in love. And then, which changed my heart. Which points me to the second money back guarantee uh, tip. Make a pre-decision about divorce. Before marriage, Kate and I made a decision that we will not use any word related to divorce. I'm done. I'm leaving you. I'm whatever. You, even at the, at the height of your screaming fight, never ever mention by commitment. You make a pre-decision. If you want to make the decision during the, in the midst of conflict, you will give in to the temptation. And then once you say it, and that person, it, your partner says it, a vicious cycle happens, all of a sudden, People are divorced and, and then regret later. Number two, we are to pursue proactive faithfulness in practice, practicing oneness in our marriage. Apostle Paul, summarizing his, uh, his teaching on the marriage in Ephesians 5, Verse 33, he writes, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1 through 2 and 7, just to remind us that our pursuit and practicing this blueprint is not merely staying in the marriage, but Dynamic pursuit. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of your, their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman, as a weaker as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. How has God spoken to you so far? And as I close, my my challenge and, and admonition for all of us is this. Fix your eyes on the blueprint of God has given. You know that marriage unity and oneness is a tri-unity. The oneness within trying tri God. The perfect harmony and perfect community. And that Christ and the church 
it will be like that for eternity, that oneness. Not just positionally, but conditionally. Which means, today is the day that we live by faith, that trust and obey into the direction of perfect harmony and perfect oneness. Forgiving, of course, because of our selfishness and we are our failures. Forgiving each other. Fully reconciled. And seek help if it's necessary. With one another. And some of us, some of us took the courage to see professional counseling. Wonderful. And some of you call me in advance with no crisis. Bravo. And some of you get together with another couple friends to share tips and encouragements about your marriage. People of God, the way we become salt and light is not by what we do not do. It's a mere portion of Christ's command that we do not divorce. The radical difference, the attractiveness of light, and the saltiness of sting that as brings up the moral and spiritual fiber of our society is our, our quality of our, our marriages. And sadly, isn't it true that even among the Christians, there's so many rampant divorces and then so many marriages who's just disregarding this blueprint conference, the uh, picture of God. What would be your decision today? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to... uh, Turn to a person next to you and making a threesome, not more than four, and going over some questions. But the first question that we should ask, all the men should ask, does my wife feel secured and cherished because of my love for her? That's pursuing the blueprint of God's spirit of the law. All the women and wives should ask, does my husband feel admired? And respect it because of my love for him. May the Lord give us a needed conviction of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord give us encouragement and comfort that we might have hope for radically different marriages in this world. Let's pray. On this Valentine's Day, oh Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will stir our hearts and renew our commitment to our wives and to our husbands. Despite the fact that our brokenness and conflicts and seemingly uh, 
the wall that we are facing that we cannot pass through. Lord Jesus, give us a vision of hope and the power of the Holy Spirit that we might experience breakthrough in this season of Lent and all across and different levels of problems at Crossway Church. Renew our marriages. Beyond the act of not divorcing, oh Father, give us grace to pursue the one that we have already found. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.